Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 122 of the Grand Prix Show. For coverage of the Indian Grand Prix from Bood International Circuit, I'm Robin Warner. And I am Jim Lau. And of course, since we missed a show, we will also be talking a little bit about the Korean Grand Prix from Makpo. Yes. Or however that is pronounced. Yes, and that is my bad. My apologies. Um, well, yes and no. Um, because, yes, we missed the show, but several people on, online commented, eh, good riddance. There wasn't much to talk about from that race anyway. I mean, you were, you know, it's like. <laughs> That's really funny. Uh, yeah, not, not a huge. So, and I think that, that almost carries into this weekend as well. But, uh, oh, well. so to go slightly chronologically. Yes. If we start with a bit of the, the Korea deal, I mean, the, the big takeaway from that was Sebastian Vettel taking over the lead in the world championship from Fernando Alonso. And just basically Red Bull and Vettel looking dominant. Right. It doing so in a very commanding way and in a very 2011 fashion with, you know, comfortable pole position. Although that's not true. A Red Bull pole position. But uh, comfortable pole position and then just first lap dominance followed by, you know, you know several other laps that no one can compete with. You know, winning by several seconds and on and on. Didn't seem fairly... Sh- very stressed for them at all. Right. As you mentioned, it was Mark Webber on pole, so not bad for a number two driver, but by the end of lap one, Vettel had taken over his normal place in the race out front and went on from there. So not terribly exciting in that regard, although Kobayashi was trying to keep the excitement level up, um, knocking into Jensen Button and Nico Rosberg on lap one. Um, yeah, it was like bumper bowling. Leaving Jensen with some some choice words and uh, and just frustration, uh, you know, especially with uh, the championship and everything being the way it is. Uh, it just... Uh, you know, not a good race for Kobayashi, you know, just on the heels of his home race and the podium and Absolutely. all this. Yeah, um, I, I couldn't agree with you more that it was so disappointing to see him do so poorly after he did so well. And certainly that was the final nail in Jensen's championship run coffin uh, as well to be knocked out of that race. He really needed one one big series of strong performances to have any hint of being within it and, you know, being out of the race one of the first guys out of the race, that was the exact opposite of that. So Jensen's definitely out of it, and jumping ahead just a tiny bit after the end of this race, uh, it's clearly a two-man championship with one man highly favored, I would say. Yeah, and I saw first after Korea several comments to the effect of, like, well, the you know the, the tires are one thing that goes off a cliff, but also my interest in this F1 season has gone off a cliff as well. It's sort of like seeing Vettel just come back to dominate uh, and and you know, the the fun story sort of was like Alonzo being clever, being crafty, getting points here and there and doing well. And when that goes away and it's just, okay, well, Vettel is winning and Vettel's really fast and he's on pole and he leads every lap, that really makes the season quite a bit less exciting to sort of follow. And, oh, what's going to happen next? Well, probably Vettel is just going to keep doing well. Right. So it takes a little bit of excitement out of it. So that uh, takes us to India this weekend where in practice and everything, I mean, Sebastian Vettel was just on top of it the whole weekend. He was fastest in all the practice sessions. He was fastest in qualifying. He led every single lap of this race and, and you know, won. Uh, he did not have fastest lap. Yeah, he was the first but, one in line in the men's bathroom every time. He always got to the curry stand first. I mean, it really, really wasn't fair. Yeah. He just had everything. So, uh, which is great for Vettel fans. It's great for Red Bull racing. It's great for the championship if you like seeing Vettel dominate. But in terms of the whole dynamic of the close season and, and all that... It's, it's falling off, yeah. It's I mean, definitely uh, it spread things out. And, well, and yeah. I'll tell you what else I think is getting worse. Is Vettel's comments when he's finished with the race. Yeah. He just seems to be dragging out longer and longer and longer. Yeah, um, he's... Probably someone somewhere keeping track of uh, how long his speeches are, and, and and everyone has to be slightly longer than the previous. So uh, yeah, and you know, when, which when you're in the interview room is one thing when they're sitting there behind the table and they've each got their beverages and they're talking and so on. But now they're on the podium and people are kind of standing there awkwardly and like the grid girls are still there and like there's champagne all over everyone and he's just sort of going on and on about whatever it is he thinks about how the race unfolded and how, what the lap is like and how the corners are and how the car is and so on. And uh, although today's interview from India, uh, done by Martin Brundle, was one of the better ones because not only is he a former driver, but he's also a broadcaster and has a good sense for, sure. uh, you know, making an entertaining interview. Um, EJ's I, Eddie Jordan, I guess, was was entertaining in a way, but he's got his own sort of screwball style. But he's uh, just abundantly awkward. Isn't yeah, he? but uh, so I did like Martin Brundle's interviews. I thought those were. I thought he, he did a good job with that. Even though Mark Webber wasn't sure uh, what mic to use for a minute there, but. Uh, 
you know, that part of it was, was one of the least awkward of the new format, but we're still not fans of the new format. It seems uh, just agreed. sort of you don't get anything useful out of it, and it's just kind of this uh, slightly awkward bit on stage. But it's probably fun if you're there, you know, to be rather than after the races. Oh, yeah. Uh, Instead of being in a closed room, right. it's out happening in front of the thing. It's fresh. The excitement's just happened. There's no cool-down period. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because at any any the, the the two races or the three races I've been to, once the race is actually over, you're just sort of like people are working about filing out of the out of the uh, you know the track. You know, there's there's the guys are on the screen. Maybe maybe you can hear them. Probably not. You know, who knows? It's sort of like that. The interview thing just is is, is a lost part of actually being there in person. Although understandably, there are a lot more people that are watching on TV than there are in person. So you know, they're gonna have to sort of balance that. But anyway, um, as it stands now, Sebastian Vettel has 240 points. Uh, Alonso Jeez. is 227 behind him. And then it's then Kimi Raikkonen is in third spot with 173, so it's a pretty drop off there. And then Weber back 167, Lewis Hamilton behind him, Jensen Button is now 99 points behind Sebastian Vettel. Yeah, mathematically out of it. Right, uh, and it's just so both McLarens, uh, you know, they're five and six now. The McLarens really are out of it, if not mathematically, then then practically, and uh, and it's really, I mean, it's it's down to Vettel and Alonso, but. As uh, as Martin Brendel said, sort of you know Vettel sort of has one hand on the championship trophy at this point, and mm-hmm. uh, and they would say, oh, we're not thinking about the championship, we're just doing race by race. But yeah, that's, yes, of course you're they thinking are. Of, you're driving in the championship. The whole point of you, this everything you're doing is for the championship. Of course, you're thinking about the championship, right? You just don't want to say, oh yeah, I'm the lead and everything's amazing and I'm going to win. So you don't want to go that route. But it, I I, I hope that it's. Uh, I don't know. I guess uh, there is that part of me that's hoping for an alternator failure or for something crazy to happen to Vettel's car to just keep this thing kind of open and, and closer and really make them work for it. Um, but at the same time, you know, the the kid is amazing and uh, is a really fast driver in a really fast car. Right. He's and all you, switched uh, on again. Yeah. You can't uh, you can't take that away from him. But partly because I want to see this uh, uh, the, the race that we have coming up in the United States. We've got Abu Dhabi next, and then the U.S. Grand Prix in Texas. Uh, I want that to be a exciting and potentially, you know, every race has has points that go towards the championship, but um, you know, a, a crucial race. And I don't want it to be that everything's just already in the bag after Abu Dhabi, and it's just like, right. oh, now we're just running races. Well, alternately, uh, it would be a little bit of fun that the penultimate race, the uh, Grand Prix in the United States, is the championship deciding race. That would be kind of fun to watch that. And I would have to say, if if we get Two more repeats of what we got uh, this time around, where Vettel pulls the lead just a little bit further. Well, pulling the lead a little bit further twice, which would happen in the USGP, would seal the championship up. So that would be kind of fun. We'd have that going for us. Yeah, although it is the one awkward thing in F1, how the the, the uh, championship trophy is like not really part of the race weekend. You know, the actual awarding of the trophy is like at the at the whatever ball in Monaco in the off season. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. And you know, there's been times when the guy who won the championship is not actually on the podium, so there's like kind of this weird pseudo interview back in the normal driver interview area, but there's not really a, a procedure for um if the guy if the championship winner um, didn't you know? Isn't on the podium at the final race or whenever he clenches it. There's times where it's like, oh, he finished fifth today, which means he ties up the championship, but he's not on the podium. So we're gonna have to go find the guy to interview him. Like it's a little bit awkward the way F1 treats it, right? As opposed to like IndyCar or any of these other ones where it's like, okay, this guy won the race. We have an interview with you. You won. Congratulations. Blah blah blah. But this guy, and then there was the whole circumstance around all the all the nonsense about getting the trophy and all the excitement and whatever. So um, it, yeah, if, if if it's sealed up with a win and that's part of the part of the you know celebration then that's great otherwise it's slightly awkward when it's like there's a lot of excitement for this guy who's not really out here and he's back in his trailer now or whatever (laughs) right 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 yeah i'm excited to see the end of the championship i don't think it's entirely fair to blame a team for doing really well at the same time the race certainly wasn't exciting and you know, there's this whole, like, oh, what is this magic they've captured about with the tires and everything else? So, I don't know exactly what's happened, but we've still got turs, we still got durs, we still got curs, we still got all the errs. We still have um, Pirelli at the helm trying to make the decisions to keep the race exciting, but they're not nearly as exciting as they were at the beginning of the year. Yeah, and, and we had a, f- a few good laps in the opening, the opening, like, say, four laps. Right. Were, were fun. There was a lot of really close racing all through the field. I mean, down remember the Williams wheel to wheel, you know, and the uh, 
and, and, you know, with Button and Raikkonen and all these guys, you know, sort of the top sort of 13 cars or whatever, um, you know, had some, some good close action. But then once it spaced out, there weren't any surprises of, you know, someone near the end of the race and their tires fall off and do they pit or do they not? You know, it's right. like people have figured out the tire wear and Pirelli and whatever, it's all come together. There weren't any, um, we had a couple of tire failures um, where with, with, with tire, tires being tires, cut yeah. down, but not, you know, not related to the whole, you know, making the show exciting. It was just like a terrible day for Checo Perez and uh, another, you know, and, and just a annoying day for uh, Michael Schumacher, both of having cut tires and uh, Checo having, you know, two tire issues and then retiring halfway through the race or a third of the way into the race. So, uh, I mean, there are a couple of those kind of things, but uh, nothing, you know, no sort of X factor. It was all, it all sort of happened as, uh, uh, as you'd expect. And, yeah. and didn't, you know, no, no big you know, wrenches uh, thrown into any particular uh, works there. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I agree with you. So I personally would love to see – it's weird. I never I, – I would love to see Alonzo. I think to see what he's done with the Ferrari team, see how optimistic he's been and how hard he's worked and everything. Like, it seems to me he deserves a Ferrari championship, and I, it seemed like this might be the year for him. Vettel's faster, and if he's faster, that's that, right? I mean, person, but my heart would rather see uh, Alonso win. But, yeah. you know, I certainly, as a driver, would hate to see, you know, I mean, as a driver, you've got to give respect to Vettel. That, that's, that's where I'm going. It's, it's, it's not coming out succinctly like I'd like, but what I'm trying to say is Vettel earns my respect, but Alonso has won my heart. <laughs> well that really clears it up it certainly no, does I mean, I mean it would be it would be heartbreaking to if if it came down to you know vettel was in the lead and somehow because of a mechanical failure that's what cost him the championship uh-huh. you know, if, rather than if, if alonzo is able to sort of really outdrive the car that he's been doing as which he sort of has been but he was able to do that well enough to just beat hamilton on or hamilton to beat vettel on track and and come out and win that way, then that's really just what's amazing. But it would be really you know kind of lame in a way. Um, although I'm certainly there, there are fans that that uh, say, hey, any victory is a victory. But True. Uh, it would be lame if if it did come down to something that was completely out of his control. Right. Where of course you know Vettel really has driven the doors off of his car, preferably speaking. It's uh, <laughs> just really driven the hell out of that thing, and uh, to to not you know have uh, have more success after uh, after driving this well and having the car work as well as it has you know for the team. Then uh, yeah, that would be uh, be you know sort of a, a mixed bag, I guess. And I think the other side of it is that uh, Alonso kind of was the role of villain for a while for us, right? I mean, he was kind of like the perfect villain. He even had the villain hair. He even had the villain goatee for a little while. Oh yeah, and just the villain soul patch. Yeah, totally. You know the whole you know. No, I think there was a whole Hamilton Alonso thing with Ferrari McLaren. Then there was a the whole thing that went down with Nelson Piquet Jr. There's all these things, right? And then the obviously the Massa. Uh, well, Alonso's fashion, all those things, right? And the in the McLaren teammates year and the whole, yeah, there's, all of it, yeah. right? So all of that is now kind of water on the bridge. It's been another while, and Alonso's just been this like real positive and very strong, consistent force. So I feel like half of it is just us now over him being evil. <laughs> and now it's like, yeah, he's really good, and he does, he's one of those guys that deserves a third championship. I mean, it's been a while now. His championship was '06, was the last one. So that's what uh, 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 six years ago. You know, you'd expect it for now. But uh, I think we can move on from that for now. I think we're both looking forward to a more exciting uh, Grand Prix next time around. But Abu Dhabi, uh, it's not looking great. I mean, that's not traditionally a terribly exciting race. It's not known for lots of passing. I mean, I guess it's cool that it starts in the evening and ends up in its sort of nighttime and dark out and, and whatever. But uh, we'll have to see how this the dynamics of this year's cars work. And, you know, because Valencia was a really exciting race this year, and yet a couple of these have not been. So... Um, you know, we'll, we'll just have to see what happens, but more to, I mean, I think our excitement really is sort of like, it's just counting down the days until we go to Austin which and see the track. Uh, I, so I haven't seen, well, no, I've been to the track, but when it was all dirt, if you remember like <laughs> yes. a year ago, right. um, you know, I, I was there and it was just, it had just been announced and there were signs up and there were construction guys and they were like, uh, you know, it was funny going up to the gate. And these guys didn't know anything about Formula One or kind right. of when the race was going to be or any of that kind of stuff. And they were just kind of like, well, all we know is that you can't come in here because it's a construction zone and you don't have a permit. <laughs> and you can take pictures from the road if you really want to. It's just of this big pile of dirt. But you're like, but 
But right. But so so technically, we have actually now both been to the Circuit of the Americas, although uh, your visit being much more relevant to an actual racetrack and much more recently. Yes, I was invited by Pirelli to uh, do a number of things, but among them was to be a part of the grand opening, the official grand opening of the circuit, which was fantastic in many, many ways. Um, was really excited to be able to go. Uh, I got to see uh, Mario Andretti cut the cut the ribbon, although the ribbon was about four feet wide, held by two dudes up, and then they gave him a pair of scissors, but whatever. Although, in his defense, he was in his old Lotus Grand Prix car. He was in the Lotus 79. giant pair of scissors. Absolutely. And uh, I got to see that. I got to see uh, all the girls uh, ogle over Patrick Dempsey, who was around. Oh, uh, he's dreamy. Alex Gurney was also there, uh, as was Jerome uh, Ambrosio. And Jerome was actually uh, an employee of Pirelli and invited by Pirelli. I don't know if he's technically employed, but he's definitely contracted by Pirelli to do the tire testing and that kind of stuff. Yeah, and they had that Lotus tie-up. I mean, the old Mario Andretti Lotus car, and then they had the the, the three-year-old R30, you know, Renault slash Lotus, whatever. That that would have been um, either uh, the Petrov or um, uh, was it uh, Petrov or Kubica car, right? You know, from three years ago. Um, but yeah, so it's sort of the, the Lotus connection there. So and that's so there were a few highlights of my being there. So got to see the flag cut, uh, got to see Mario Andretti drive the Lotus 79 around the circuit of the Americas. Um, got a couple of laps in, uh, around the track myself uh, in the passenger seat, unfortunately, both times. Uh, one in a Grand Am spec, which is a sports car uh, spec here in the States, uh, Grand Am spec Miata. Um, uh, run by, oh, I'm going to get his name wrong. I think it was Jason Simona. I've got that wrong, but real nice guy. You're looking at me like, I know, I don't know. This I, okay. and, but I, I got a lap in a Miata, which is interesting, and I also got a lap in uh, a three-seater uh, F1 car. I got to be in one of the side pods of those. Which is a weird-looking piece of machinery, well, I have and to say. Well, and it's actually really fascinating because I was talking to those guys, and they're all Spanish, so I was very jealous. I wish I had your Spanish-speaking skills at the time. Hmm. But very nice guy. And uh, he was talking to me. So they have two cars, a white one and a black one. The black one was is a 2003 Jordan that was driven by uh, Nick Heidfeld. Okay. So it was Nick Heidfeld's Jordan. And they, they took the car and they said it is two-spec. It is identical to the Jordan that uh, Nick Heidfeld had in 2003 all the way up to the side pods. At the side pods, that's where they modify it. They put in the two seats and they have to modify so that the the uh, uh, cooler, the radiators still get cool air and all that yeah. kind of stuff, and that you know people can sit there. The uh, three-liter uh, engine was pulled out, and it is now a three-and-a-half-liter Judd engine. Hmm. It is also a different gearbox, although it is still a paddle shift similar thing, um, but it's a gearbox that is more, it's able to take more starts because it's you know a lap, it's a seven-eighths lap in and out type of thing, so yeah. they do a lot more starts. So the transmission has to be able to take that. Not um, to mention the extra weight of you know three people instead of one. Right. Yeah. But it's a 750-pound, 750-horsepower, 3.5-liter V10. Still makes F1-type sounds. It's, uh, it had modern, it had current 2012-spec Pirelli tires on it. It yeah. was a Pirelli slick tire car. Yeah. And um, it was driven by Didier Thays, hmm. who is a Belgian, who uh, I would say most famously raced... Uh, Audi R8 at Le Mans yeah. in the late 90s. And uh, so it was very cool. And I think what, what amazed me the most about the car was how unamazed I was. I really thought I was going to be blown away by the braking and the grip, and I just wasn't. Yeah. But the acceleration is really impressive, not just because you get very hard acceleration, but just because there's just seemingly like like endless constant stream of power. It's almost like a windmill uh, being turned by a waterfall. It just the power keeps coming. It just feels never ending. Like it, as you accelerate through, you just get this real sense. Hmm. And the other thing that was really amazing about the ride was just like hearing the engine through like through yourself as opposed because you're sitting on something that's vibrating being by, right. that's ultimately connected to the engine that's vibrating. So you hear the engine in a totally different way. It's like this real visceral, like, 
thrumming sound that comes through your body. So that part was really cool. And don't get me wrong, the higher speed cornering was definitely impressive. Yeah. And also, it, it was the end of the day, the tires that were on the car were totally shucked. They weren't good. And, uh, they, you know, DDA was also driving. That was like, he was on his third hour doing this and it was like 90 degrees and hot in, in Austin. He's an endurance driver though. Whatever. He's fine. Well, so I totally, I have full respect for what happened, but it was an interesting experience. Now here's the bad news. Um, I don't like the track that much. Yeah. You were, you were saying that. Um, so First of all, uh, to, to finish up on, on your ride, do you have any? Was there any kind of uh, G meter or data log or anything? Do you have a sense for how many, like how many G's you're pulling in corners? Or no, anything? nothing. I mean, I certainly have my own, you know, fairly well calibrated asometer. And what does that tell you? I would say we are under three, okay. but over two. Um, you know, it I would say cornered as hard as the most grippy go kart I've ever driven. Okay. And the grippiest go kart I've ever driven is right around two. But it didn't peel your face off. It did not peel my face off. Um, we we had to hit a good one eighty down the back straight. Um, my helmet, you know, you're supposed to like tuck your head in all weird uh, so that your helmet doesn't get air caught underneath. Mm-hmm. I said, "F that! I want to be able to see." So I did that, and there was definitely a really strong pull on my chin. Hmm. Um, so that was that was a very fascinating sensation. You're like, is is this helmet going to fly off? And if it does, what else is going to happen? So contrary to popular belief, your head is indeed screwed on, correct? <laughs> exactly. And uh, so, yeah, I, I don't have a real good sense for the Altman G's, but it was definitely an impressive ride. But the problem with the track is, here it is. So it's 3.4 miles long, and it's got this really impressive turn one thing. So turn one, you're going down the straightaway, and all of a sudden it, Goes up quite steeply uphill, mm-hmm. up 130 to, feet. They say 130 feet uphill, and and then it's a left hand almost hairpin. It's like a 160 degree corner, mm-hmm. and that's that's a pretty cool corner. It's tighter than I wish it. I wish it wasn't as tight as it was. I wish it wasn't a hairpin. I wish it was more of like a just a proper left hander. But it's not. It's a hairpin. It goes downhill into a pretty fast right hand sweeper turn two, and that's cool because you are going downhill. So there's that temptation to break earlier. But at the same time, it's actually a pretty big sweeper. Pre- so you can carry tons of speed through that. Even in the Miata, we carried a lot of speed through it. Um, and then that section that, you know, two, you know, after turn two, there's nice sweeping section. Then you hit this back straight, and the back straight's long, and it's definitely fast. But then you just hit these series of, like, tight corners. It's like they took a fantastic 15-turn track and added five turns. Mm. And... Um, it's just, it just to me, it's just too complicated, too busy, and too many tight, windy bits. It's like, um, it's like that last section of the infield at Indy before they dump out onto the oval. Yeah, well, that's, that's the whole story with Korea as well. I mean, it was sort of this Jekyll and Hyde track of long, fast sweepers and long straights, and then really technical, twisty bits. And some people, you know, how you set up the car and doing right. the compromise and all that. So I guess. Uh, you know, I mean, it looked fine to me when I was there as a bunch of dirt and cows that it was. So, um, you know, the, the cows, cows didn't mind. Yeah, no, they were they were pulling some G's. It was fine. Um, so it, I think, you know, it will remain to be seen how an actual race unfolds there, right? When they're actually cars coming into it three wide and two wide and if anything crazy happens and whatever. But, uh, you know, it's sort of there's nothing we can do about it now. Right. So uh, I hope it works well. You know, I hope it, it comes out well. And as we have seen with some of these other new circuits, um it may be that for next year they say, oh, we revised a couple of corners. Like there was a Bahrain, that extra little section that was added, and they're like, oh, that was crap. So I told that you know they stopped right. doing that. So uh, you know it's possible. Uh, you'd like to think that for a brand new design with everyone that was called in and consulted and all the money that was spent and all that, that they would come up with something that works for everyone. Um, and uh, you know, I guess so. In one ways, I I I hope that you're wrong and that and I, you know I, your impression. Like I definitely hope I'm wrong as well. I, uh, I I you know I trust your judgment on that stuff too. So uh, we'll I'm still we'll, we'll still go. You know, I'm not going to boycott the race over <laughs> right. the extra five turns. But, and it is a very impressive looking track. I mean, it, it's a little bit heavy on the red, white, and blue theme. Is um, it possible to go overboard with red, white, and blue? That's I don't, a good point. In it's Texas, not, I don't think that point. it is. But it, it's it's very clean. The aggregate of the pavement's actually really porous and interesting to me. Um, so there's a lot of fascinating things about it. And I seriously have not yet gotten to the, my favorite part, which okay. is um, I... Uh, stuck myself into the uh, lotus pits um for to and i got to sit in um jerome ambrosio's like i got to sit 
in the R30. Mm-hmm. And to sit in a proper modern F1 car with a modern F1 steering wheel staring you in the face, mm-hmm. that really was cool for me. Um, you're, you're, I mean, I don't know, have you ever sit, have you ever gotten to sit in the car? Sit in one, no. Okay. I mean, I've seen the, the cutaways and the different simulators and stuff, like how high your legs are up right. over, the, over your center of gravity and, and the whole thing. And that's the sensation that's really odd. You really almost feel like you're in like an Ikea chair of some kind. Like, yeah. You know, <laughs> and, and there's no room. I mean, so the, ch- the chair I was sitting on was a Vitaly Petrov's chair. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, like, you're a little big for it. I'm like, yes, I'm fat. Thanks. Thanks. Um, but I'm also <laughs> apparently taller than Vitaly. And... So it was more scrunched to me than normal, but at the same time, I more or less fit into it. But there's no space. You know, like your legs are really just kind of sucked into this area. And, you know, there's also like this, they have the two pedals and there's this big like metal slot between the two. So it is impossible to right foot brake. Yeah. You have well, to left the, foot brake. Does the steering, the steering shaft go through there and stuff? I mean, doesn't... Well, I, I'm pretty sure... It goes up to a little higher, maybe? Yeah, I think it goes up higher, because it was up until, like, 2009 or something like that. Rubens Barrichello was a right foot breaker for a long time, hmm. and he finally had to learn how to left foot brake. I think that's when he went to Honda that that happened. So it wasn't that long ago that some drivers still use the right foot, but it's it's just impossible now. You can't do it. And the other thing that I thought was really interesting, and I have pictures of this that we plan on putting up on the web somehow sooner or later, um, was the steering wheel has three levers in back, mm-hmm. a lower, middle, and an upper. And I did not, I wasn't fully, so the lower is the clutch, and either side operates the clutch, same as the other. Um, so that's pretty selfish. It's a hand-powered clutch. Mm-hmm. And the middle one is right shift up, left shift down. But then the top one, there's a top lever and that changes the diff settings. Yeah. So from one corner to the next, you can change the diff. And I just that blew my mind to think like all the other things that are going, all the G's you're pulling, how quickly everything is coming at you, and you have to think about which diff setting you want for the next corner on top of everything else. Yeah, and I remember being blown away by that one in 2010 when I was at the Canadian Grand Prix in Montreal, and I got a tour of the Force India pits, and they, they let me hold the steering wheel, and I thankfully didn't drop it or anything, although it was close. Um, I didn't get to sit in the car, but the, the, the guy that uh, got me access to that um, was one of the diff calibration engineers. And he was telling me about you know the dozens of of diff maps that they'll have and how that's one of the areas that they can play around. You know you don't get traction control, you don't get ABS, uh, you know you can't have you know movable aero and blah blah blah. But how much can happen through the differential? You know how it's going to affect the car during braking, how it's going to affect the car you know mid corner uh, as you get on the power, as you shift through the gears. You know mid speed corners, low speed corners, high speed corners, all those different things. That uh, you know there's a lot of electronics in the diff, and that is one area that they can still be clever you know you can still come right. up with weird solutions and try different things and and how many different diff maps there are and, and kind of how that how big of a factor that can be which you know you wouldn't think of as right. as such an area for development but uh it's it's just you know when the rules clamp down on you know the way the exhaust can flow and the way the tires have to be and on the aero and blah 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 you know the engineers I and mean, that's what the good teams do right or any all the teams trying is just where can we find an advantage how can we make this better and you know, as we learned about from a little while ago from the uh, the whole blown diffusers and uh, off-throttle, uh, you know, blowing and, and those kind of things, how important these throttle maps are, how each driver will have a particular map for how their throttle position maps to certain power on the engine and how it suits their driving style and tires and what tracks and all that. I mean, that that's another another one of those areas. But, yeah, the diffs are, uh, it, it, you know, there's a lot going on there. And, there's, and what I remember seeing were three dials, and that was sort of thumb-operated dials that you'd have, here's my... Um, my corner entry, my brake zone diff map, my mid corner brake map or diff map, and my corner exit accelerating diff map. <laughs> just, and so I would, you, oh you'd sort God. of just, through, you know, the, through each corner, yeah. you'd be like constantly changing that to figure out, you know, for for whatever corner, oh, this I need to enter at three, and I need to be mid corner at six, and I need to exit at two yeah. or whatever. Oh. And just it's, and it's pretty amazing. And it's on top of just the the plethora of buttons there are on that steering wheel. And then you've got like the anti sway bar jack and the brake bias and stuff that's not on the wheel I, there's so much crap in that cockpit it is nuts and you hear that like everyone that listens to us is into f1 enough to know that stuff right but to see it and to physically see how much stuff there is and what tight space and just the concept and the other thing too is like you know you have some driving experience i've driven a fair amount plus i've even driven formula cars a fair amount that 
seating position. I'm sure you get used to it, but it felt so um, so awkward. Yeah, I just can't imagine having that same like seat feel because you know you're half laying on your back. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that part of it to me was really fascinating. Yeah, you're just barely seeing over the tips of your toes basically as you look forward, you know, through the car down to the road. It's it's really you know unless you see those cutaways and you see the way that the drivers sit in there is uh, definitely a pretty weird. Uh, weird look, and yeah, I haven't experienced that myself, but uh, that's pretty cool that you're able to get in there. And I also had... Did you start it up or anything? Did you do a burnout? No, oh. no. But I did also have an exclusive interview with a Formula One celebrity. Ooh. Yes. Bob Varsha. All right. Uh, he, was, he was there. He was like the official uh, MC for the, uh, for the inaugural opening. And I actually, uh, on my iPhone, recorded a few minutes worth of him kind of talking and uh, might try to put that on the web as well. Um, that is a tall man. He is taller than you think. He's like 6'2". And he's, his hair is ridiculous, by the way. <laughs> uh, you, think, uh, you think Christian Horner has a bouffant. <laughs> yeah, if, oh. if, if there are Varshets out there, then <laughs> that is a thing because uh, that man has, has a mane. He has a mane. There's no doubt about it. Uh, he is not king of the jungle, but he's king of the salon. There's no doubt about it. Anyway, talked with him for about three or four minutes. There's a personal connection. I actually used to race his son. Matt Varsha raced in Skip Barber, as did Sergio Perez and Chico Marco Perez. Andretti, all of them. Yeah, we, are, we actually all raced together. Um, and uh, so I asked him about Matt and that kind of stuff. But then I asked, he said, so, hey, sorry to hear about speed and everything else. And I said, so what's going on with NBC Sports? And uh, he, obviously, he didn't, he did, uh, there was no talks ongoing or anything like that and obviously he doesn't really know me so he didn't like robin let me give you the between you and me right yeah but he he did he basically hinted strongly that they are interested in going to nbc nbc sports were nbc sports to offer them something right um and the one thing that's a little bit tricky is uh will buxton david hobbs and steve matchett are all independent contractors of speed they have no official relationship with speed at all so they can do whatever they want whenever they want but varsha is a speed employee he is contracted to them um because of the barrett jackson stuff and all that kind of stuff yeah so he would actually it's actually harder for bob varsha to move to nbc sports than it is the other three because he would actually have to get released from his contract to yeah. do so so they're probably in those kind of talks and stuff as, as it goes on now but you know we'll see if if you know speed channel slash fox sports however whatever the, that speed channel is turning into um, you know, if if they feel that Bob Barsha is an important guy to have as the you know part of the new team and they want to or the new channel and they want to keep him on there, or so so it's possible we may have sort of a a new uh, you know main host because you know right now Bob Barsha is the main commentator, right? You know, main announcer, the one for, that calls the race and yeah that for the race on on Speed Channel, uh, which has now become Fox Sports Speed and looks like will become Fox Sports Plus or something. You know, in, in the coming uh, for for next year basically, um, but. Uh, or if we may have the same, you know, Steve Matchett as technical uh, analyst guy and David Hobbs as ex-driver. And then I say ex, like way ex, way back in the day. Um, <laughs> and then Will Buxton. <laughs> way ex-driver, yeah. Well, you know. No, I don't. <laughs> uh, from the dark ages of Formula One. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so no, nothing has officially been announced that way. And, you know, we kind of got that impression because all of Bob Varsha's tweets were sort of like, We'll see what happens. We don't know what the deal right. is. They're not like, hey, Speed Channel is amazing and, you know, NBC can go suck it. You know? right. <laughs> it's like, and it's very clear. Based on his tone, he def they definitely want to continue doing it. Yeah. None of them want to stop. They would love to keep going with NBC And, well, sports. they came to Speed Channel from ESPN, didn't they? When, or yes. Speed Vision back when it was – or whatever it was before Speed right, Vision. Right, 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 right. Um, so, yeah. you know, they've changed they've, to they, follow F1 before. Right. They continue to follow F1 and change with the network. Absolutely. And, um, oh shoot, I was going to make one other point. Uh, they, oh, that's a, you know, Bob was indicating that it was unclear whether Fox was going to continue things like Barrett Jackson or not and that kind of thing. They may. Yeah, that's the other question because uh, I think we saw a couple of times um, before and after a Grand Prix coverage on Speed Channel throughout this year, they were playing um, like international football, you know, soccer as it were. And, and there's been some other non-car things. So presumably Fox, who owns Speed Channel, has done some tests and figured, hey, you know what, you know, for whatever it costs them to get different programming and whatever the advertising dollars they were able to get, they determined, hey, a, a, car, a channel that's all car stuff 
you know, doesn't make as much it's, sense, doesn't make as much it. money. Yeah. So Speed Channel, as we know it, may be changing. And certainly there are some things uh, where it's, it's sort of a shame to see, uh, you know, I hope we get, you know, continued TV access to things like, the, you know, the Pirelli World Challenge Series as part of Grand Am. And, uh, and you know, the new, if there's ALMS and Grand Am, and then if they merge, uh, you know, as, as they're planned to in 2014, and, you know, seeing how that comes. But, you know, we still don't get any uh, real rally coverage, and there's a lot of touring cars and a lot of things we don't get any coverage of. I was watching live on the Internet this weekend the uh, six hours of Shanghai, the World Endurance Challenge, uh, World Endurance Championship. Right. Um, and uh, which is not televised on speed. So uh, there's already some sort of failings in the car network. So we'll see how, uh, if, if there is still a market for all these, you know, guys in a garage wrenching on a car kind of programs and for, yeah, these, you know, seven hours of auto auctions that they provide and all that kind of stuff. But that may change and go away. But my, I'm still basically hopeful, um, so trying to be optimistic about NBC Sports because of what I've read about some of their online streaming and things like that, where it sounds like for uh, cord cutters, for those of you that don't have cable TV but are just getting everything through the Internet, um, it may not be any better for you there. You're still going to have to do kind of your torrents and find your streaming sites and different sort of not quite legal ways of getting uh, access to watching the race. Right. Um, but if you are a cable subscriber, um, it'll just give you some more options where I think you could – uh, like I could watch it on my iPad, um, obviously not during work hours, of course, on during Friday practice or whatever. But, uh, you know, you'd have some options, I guess is what I'm saying, uh, even if it's just, you know, while you're, uh, you know, having having P3 on while you're cooking dinner or whatever, um, or breakfast, whatever the timing may be, um, you know, having it on your phone or having it on your iPad, walking around the house or, you know, just seeing it on your laptop or whatever. So it could be cool. Um, we don't know. They haven't announced anything about a commentary team yet. So. Yeah, that's a good insight, though. Maybe we'll see the same team of people. You heard it here first. For better or worse. You know, maybe, if they maybe they have a bigger budget, though, maybe NBC wants to impress, and maybe they'll send some people live, uh, you know, more than just one guy. Or Would maybe be not. nice. Yeah, who knows? Would be nice. We'll see. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think that about covers it. I mean, so we are, in fact, going. That finally has been confirmed. We will be going to Austin for the race. Our tickets are in the mail, hopefully. Uh, they were paid for, at the very least. Yeah. Um, and then, boy, were they paid for. Um, and uh, we're still trying to f- sort out the details, but uh, we are going to be there, and we are, you know, we are definitely interested in uh, trying to... We haven't figured that out exactly, but we definitely want to do something if F1 show, uh, what used to be the F1 show fans, are still out there and are coming to Austin, if there's a way that we can meet as a group and do something, that would be fantastic. What that is and how and when and where and all that kind of stuff. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so so you and I have not missed a USGP uh, in in five years. <laughs> we, we were – no, we were at the last one. You we know, what were. we didn't know, I don't think we knew at the time, was the last one. But, That's true. Uh, you know, uh, F1 show episode six was live USGP coverage from Friday practice. Right. We went there. We recorded it in the car after leaving the thing. Um, the whole thing is 10 minutes long, but you know, Hey, that was episode six and here we are at episode 122 and it's a whole new show name and everything. But, uh, yeah, we have, so, so since, uh, since June of 2007, we have not missed a USGP and it will continue on through, uh, through November of, uh, of, of, you know, potentially next year, who knows what's, uh, what's going on for 2013, uh, 20, yeah, 13 yet. But, uh, yeah, so we'll figure out more plans. Definitely stay tuned on funwithcars.com and uh, our Facebook page and Twitter, feed, Twitter stream and all that as, uh, as plans come together. Um, but, yeah, we should have, uh, have some cool stuff for you one way or another. But it would be cool if uh, a bunch of our fans are going down there um, to check out the race and see it all in person um, if, if it works out to uh, hang out and grab a beer or something. Or yeah. a beverage of your choice. Right. So we have talked plenty, I do believe. Yes, we have lots of listener feedback. Let's hit it. And do it we shall. And we're actually going to have to start a bit on a down note, sir. Sometimes it'd be like that. So we got an email from a Dan Hart who wrote, I like your show mostly, but it's amateurish. I'm not talking about the production values, but your broadcasting skills. Problems I hear. The attempts at humor are mostly lame and drive things into the ground. Like that business about Robin not getting his quote-unquote ride. Really stupid. Two. Robin interrupts Jim constantly. No, no, I don't. Yes, you do. That's not a good thing. It's irritating. Plus, Robin's mic is not as strong as Jim's, which is ironic to me, by the way, as a little side note, that I'm really irritating, but I'm not loud enough when I am irritated. Anyway, size point. Uh, do you listen to your show? Question mark. Answer, yes. Three, 
Both of you speak too quietly at times and are not disciplined enough as broadcasters. Just quickly there, not quietly, but either Oh, way. whatever. Well, that goes. I was reading it too quickly to, to get it correct. correct. Like I said, I enjoy your show a bit. However, it's always a question of whether I can put up with the nonsense. Sincerely, Dan Hart. Okay, first point, thank you. Constructive criticism, we need it from time to time. And fair point. However, part of what you're saying is true. But we have to reiterate once again, we are not broadcasters. We are not professional anything. We are two dudes with jobs that are doing this on the side for fun because we love it. Right? So... This isn't the show to come to for a professional level anything, right? I mean, it just, it isn't, that's not us. We're here because we have fun and we want to share in our fun and people to have fun with us. Yeah, it's, it's your couple of mates sitting around BSing about what happened in the race and what we think about what's going on. And we're extending that chat from our living room to your living room or your car or your iPod or whatever. Right, your earbuds, most yeah. likely. So, and early on when we had our video show and everything, it was we sort of had a more professional style, and it just wasn't as cool. Like it just it wasn't That's so frustrating. It was a lot more work, and it wasn't you know I think what's so I, we understand that um, some people may be put off by that, and obviously we you know fair enough. But uh, you know I think for for the majority of people um, that that do listen to the show and appreciate they appreciate that if we're not either. It's too serious or too uh, I don't sterile, know. maybe. Yeah, that you know, it's uh, yeah. So we, uh, I agree that we speak quickly at times, and uh, but the fact that we're not disciplined enough as broadcasters, eh, you know, you right? Kinda, you get what you pay for, I guess. And the fact that we run jokes into the ground and that I interrupt Jim, well, that's just us. I mean, that <laughs> yeah, we run jokes into the ground all the time, <laughs> and we interrupt each other all the time. I mean, that's. That's in actuality how we interact with each other. <laughs> so, um, you know, it, it's, it is what it is for those things. Um, so that's more of a, gosh, we can't really change who we are type of thing. So if you really can't put up with it, I'm sorry, but that is who we are. Uh, Jim is trying to up my mic level, and we are going to try to uh, make a little bit more, uh, put a little bit more effort into speaking clearly. Uh, so... Some of your points we are we are taking at heart, and we are going to try to attempt. But some of them, it's more of hey, this is just this is just the nature of the show. You know what I mean? It's you know, I personally find Howard Stern extremely irritating, but I just don't listen, and that's okay. And he's perfectly plenty happy and successful without me listening. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and I mean I just think it'd be cool if if you were a McLaren driver right now instead of Checo Perez. It's just I just think that that would be a neat thing. <laughs> right. I frankly am still on that. Is that so wrong? Yeah. Apparently. And, and the fact of the matter is, uh, by the way, and I, I I feel like we make this pretty clear, and maybe uh, maybe that isn't your point, but you know we're we're both fans of Sergio Perez. I'm personally very proud to been able to say that I've been able that I raced with him and that I got to see him drive at his early stages and don't actually feel that my ride was stolen. It is just a fun joke because there's a personal connection between me yeah, and the was, current F1 you know what? driver. It was fun two years ago. Let's just get over it now, buddy. Cause... <laughs> anyway, he's our hometown boy. Anyway, he's geographically he's... the closest driver to That's being a true. U.S. driver. Uh, we got an email from Javier Gonzalez Escribano. He says... Uh, Which, there's no way I could have ever pronounced that. You, you you could do that if you really put your mind to it. Oh, can I try? No. He's hey, a Javier listener... Gonzalez okay. Escribano. No, you, 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 no, that was not it. <laughs> You're interrupting me again. Boy, Dan Hart makes some good points. Now you're interrupting Javier. Uh, he's a listener from Spain, and uh, which is great. I see on our statistics and stuff, uh, the vast majority of people are from English-speaking countries, of course, but there are uh, definitely F1 fans all over the place, and it's always cool when we have uh, listeners from other countries that enjoy our show. But that's me, not Javier. Can I just um, say real quick Yes. that it makes me feel inadequate that people that don't speak English natively are can listen to my show, but I don't even know how to pronounce their name. Right. And he said, he, at the very end of Javier's email, he apologizes for his likely mistakes in grammar after a very well-written email. So <laughs> there are many people, especially on YouTube somehow, that are doing a much worse job of grammar. So Javier, you have nothing to worry about. You've, you've, anyway. Um, anyway, so he, uh, he says he recommends po our podcast to his friends as a great way to enjoy the commentary in kind of a friendly and less technical way. Um, just two friends discussing their hobby, which is what we just talked about. Um, also, they have the excuse of it'll help improve your English. And uh, si es correcto. Si, uh, you, can, you can totally use this podcast to improve your English. Correcto um, mungo. That is not a word. Dang it. Yeah. Um, 
So anyway, um, he asked his question is about uh, the way Fernando Alonso in Spain in, in the media is portrayed as, I think, just a superhero. Pretty much, he can do right. no wrong. He is he is amazing, and whenever anything happens that doesn't go his way, it is evil forces acting upon the hero that is Fernando Alonso. Um, not quite the uh, uh, quite the words he used. Well, but didn't Lady Lady Gaga write a song about Fernando Alonso? I think she did. Yep. <laughs> I mean, that's big. Um, so she says, just kind of asking how how he's portrayed in the rest of the world, and and uh, you know, if, if to get out of sort of the the Spanish uh, you know media and the sort of the bubble around Fernando Alonso there, um, which is a good question because uh, as we were talking about earlier in the show, that has kind of changed. Um, I think media uh, anywhere is going to find an interesting controversy and make that the story, especially if there's not it. another, another good story to make. So whether it's, uh, uh, you know, Alonzo V Hamilton, as it has been for a long time, or Alonzo and his teammate, uh, or, or now, you know, Alonzo versus Vettel or whatever, um, anywhere there's a controversy, if there's a way to make a good story out of it, I think media anywhere will. Um, my take on it besides that though, is that, um, in the American media, it's, it's not as much of a, uh, sort of, you know, barbershop conversation kind of subject where it really gets down to this guy, you know, this happened because this guy's terrible and this happened because this guy is great. It's really a lot more factual, I th- is my take on it here, sort of here's what here's what the results are, right. here's, here's what maybe is alleged to have happened. You know, there have been the, the different scandals and gates and cheatings and, and disqualifications and various things over the years. Um, but it, in, in, I think, the English media, because... Uh, F1 is so much more of a part of daily life. More people have opinions about it. You know, you'll find people here that are F1 fans, but not quite so many who are really emotional about one driver or against another driver, um, where that is definitely the case um, from from what I've seen in, in, you know, England and most of Europe. So uh, there I think you will get more, uh, you know, just politicizing or sort of the emo- making it more of an emotional argument of this guy, he won because he's amazing and this guy lost because he's terrible and, right. and kind of this, uh, this, this vilification. Um, and in that regard, I think, especially when, when the uh, protagonist is, uh, is, is Lewis Hamilton, I think the media has the same sort of bias, um, especially, you know, Hamilton, McLaren and Absolutely. Button all being English and together and champions and whatever. And over the last couple of years, Hamilton being like the rising sun, you know, whatever, uh, well, for, I mean, for England in 07 especially Hamilton was English and you know rising star just like you said uh, and Alonso was not so it was very easy for the English media to be negative against Alonso and I would say that in general it's a little it's easier for the Americans to uh, trend towards the English media because the English media they cover it so uh, so uh, thoroughly and it's in our language and everything else that um, we tend to get more of the English slant on things. But as Americans, for us, at least for me, it was pretty easy to say, well, you know, see, being able to see both sides of it. So I guess my point is is that, yes, there's definitely some bias pro-Alonso in Spanish, in Spain. But there's definitely pro-Hamilton, pro-Button bias in England and uh, heavily, heavily obvious pro um uh, Ferrari coverage in Italy and so on and so on. Yeah, and he mentions uh, Javier mentions in his email about like an interview uh, of Alonso from like someone from German TV asking him in kind of a weird way about like his his dirtiness or his tricks in the race or kind of a hidden kind of weird hidden meetings and stuff. And I don't think we get that kind of thing here. I mean, I don't see no. you know Will Buxton when he does his grid walk for Speed TV asking any of those kind of really weird questions about, oh, are you going to use your typical crash into people strategy or, today? Or, or Peter Windsor before. Yeah, or yeah. are you going to be evil again today? I mean, you just I don't think you get that level of it, partly just because it sort of occupies a different space in people's lives over here. And uh, hopefully that answers your question. Uh, but And thank you very, very much for writing. It was very cool to get to hear someone from uh, uh, from not here. <laughs> <laughs> is he from Spain or is he from – I didn't even – Yeah, from Spain. Okay, from Spain. I'm, I didn't even remember. I apologize. Okay, we got an email from Tom Power, and this was after our um, Japan show. Um, says, wow, you guys had some show – wow, speaking too quickly. There we are. You guys showed some <laughs> serious commitment and leisurely breakfast watching the GP for me in England, but almost an all-nighter for you. And that was uh, one of our sleepier shows. Um, yes. Although today we are putting that one for – giving up one of our for its money. Um, he, <laughs> in the middle of the day, no less. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he says perhaps the, the, the uh, vodka and Red Bull made the difference. And yeah, the combination of, uh, of caffeine and alcohol and everything did may, I have, tell may you have come what, together well. Did I tell you, Tom Power and everybody else, what happened uh, after the vodka and Red Bull is a dirty, devious, devious drink? You can't, you, oh, 
I was exhausted and awake the entire night. I didn't go to bed <laughs> until 8 o'clock that morning. I watched a movie called Tomcats. <laughs> what? Yeah. Just, I mean, it was, it was a terrible movie. It, it had its moments when you're in a vodka, vodka Red Bull haze, but I could not fall asleep, but I was exhausted. Right on. It sounds like that five-hour energy drink, or which is more should be more accurately called five-hour panic attack, because you just kind of walk around feeling all nervous and jittery for five hours, yeah. but never never quite awake and never quite asleep. Yes. Interesting. Anyway, um, he will definitely join our predictions league next season, which is great. Um, obviously, for people that joined us mid-year, um, they're going to be way behind in points and probably not going to uh, catch up, certainly not at this point in the year. Right. But for next season, we want to get as many people on board as possible, because it's the most fun when uh, we've got like, you know, 100 oh, people playing this year's and all been, that. This year has been great. We've had like what, a solid 80 people. Or yeah, it's like been that. the uh, it's been the best. Yeah, we've had some people fall off, but uh, anyway, it's still uh, good times uh, near the top of the list. But final question: uh, Let's say you had your own F one team. It would, be, it would be interesting to hear the thoughts on your personal choices for drivers. Until the next time, regards, Tom. Mm. So you go first on that. If you have an F one team, who do you want to drive for you? Well, we have to set some ground rules here, do we not? Um, I don't know. Do we? Do they have to be current F1 drivers? Or well, that's living? what I'm saying. Do they have to currently be on the grid Can right now? I just now? pick two Ayrton Senna's and be like, well, that's Senna what I'm saying. His brother. No, that'd be too competitive. That's what I'm saying. Work. You can't say, oh, I have Juan Manuel Fangio and Ayrton Senna. I mean, do you do that? Do you say... Okay, so, so you... say for 2013, for next year, okay. we have one and we have anyone who's on the driver market now. So you can't pick Schumacher because he's retiring. I know you were thinking about it. <laughs> Ralph Schumacher, maybe, but Michael Schumacher, no. So I can't bring any theoretical people back out of retirement Let's or no from the grave or anything like that. Okay. Although this could be a fun thing for the offseason. We'll think about that. Okay, we could, we could expand it. Um, so to be totally honest, I don't know if there's any drivers that currently – don't have seats that I would bring back. You know, Jacques Villeneuve's tempting and all. Um, but uh, if I had... So it's who, who are the two fastest drivers? I mean, it's, it's Vettel and Hamilton, isn't it? It'd be Vettel and Hamilton. Not Alonso, though. Not Alonso. I mean, Alonso is I very, very good, is... but he's not, he's not the fast. The two fastest guys on the, on the grid are Vettel and Hamilton. Right, but then the dynamic in the team, I think, would be screwy then, because you'd have, like, you know, they both want to be lead driver and whatever, so maybe you need to have, you need to have, like, Massa in there as your second guy to just be your, no, you don't want that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't want Massa. Yeah, but, I mean, but it's an interesting question, but yeah, I mean, that's, I'm gonna, that's what I'm going to go with. I'm going to go um, Fernando Alonso and Jensen Button. Oh, my God, that's, like, the exact opposite of what I just picked, yeah. effectively. Well, maybe. I picked the two hothead fast guys, and you picked the two like super consistent. Let's quick be guys. smart, whatever. I'm going for the constructors championship, okay? Because, so I don't want the hothead Hamilton. I mean, Vettel is a hard guy to bet against. I mean, that that kid doesn't make you know very and many yet mistakes. You just did it, yeah. But overall, uh, you know, I, I, uh, yeah. Whatever. You know what? You're right because. I don't know if I could afford all the PR people I'd have to go through because Vettel would keep talking and talking. It's like, I can't take this anymore. And then Hamilton, and he's got his different girlfriends, and he's got his different beards, and it's like, how, how do you keep up with that kid? I don't know. Yeah, good so, point. So, you know, a cu- couple tough. of you know, nice guys. They're a, little bit, they're, they're a little bit on in their careers, but still very, very fast. And uh, so, yeah, but, man, the freaking loud GP car. However, Alonzo knows car tricks. And I always live by the motto, never trust a Spaniard that knows card tricks. Yeah, well, there you, you can go. see where it's gotten me. So we'll see. Warner GP versus Lau GP. We'll see how, uh, <laughs> how we get on. I mean, this is, I mean, what we're effectively talking about is an F1 fantasy league. And it is. It, I wonder if we could do that because the prediction show is – the predictions with, uh, uh, that we do is kind of that in a way. To be a very basic level of that, at a very no basic risk level, reward thing. It's just uh, who do you think? Yeah, but there is, you know, that is kind of making it the tempting. Do we put together a fantasy league? Kind right, because that is kind of the question. So one thing I think we could agree on, if it were who were to design our car, I think <laughs> we would probably both look toward Adrian Newey. <laughs> yes. I think that there is a uh, there reasonable consensus be, yeah, on that. I would agree. All right, uh, I have a plane to catch, so let's do some predictions and go from there. Yes. Of course, it is predictions time, and we've got two races worth to cover as we uh, missed a show from the uh, week prior. So first, for the Korean Grand Prix, um, we have uh, – I, I feel pretty good about my results there. So Damien 
looking at the results from the Japanese Grand Prix one week prior, thought Sebastian Vettel would be on the pole and go on to win the race, and so did I, and we were both almost correct. As we mentioned, uh, Vettel was second behind just uh, just Mark Webber for uh, qualifying, uh, but did end up winning the race, so he and I got one point each. Uh, you thought it was going to be a Hamilton kind of weekend, which unfortunately was not correct, not and correct. netted you 11 points, so uh, a, a good victory for Excel and for me there. Um, in <laughs> India, though... Uh, I went with the safe but boring route of, you know what, Sebastian Vettel is going to dominate. I was correct, and a lot of other people did as well. Actually, 20 uh, people in total on the Facebook page predicted Vettel, Vettel for India. Wow. And uh, we all got zeros. Uh, Damien thought, as as Damien always does, whoever was on poll last time, Mark Webber would be on poll again. And that wasn't a bad vote, so Damien only got one point. It's actually quite close, wasn't it? Right. So one point uh, for Damien last week, one point for Damien this week. Uh, you thought thousandths of a second would have, yeah. would have made that right. And you thought uh, Sebastian Button, who is totally a driver. No, you thought uh, Vettel poll, which is correct. Button for the win, which was not correct, uh, gives you four points for... Uh, the Indian Grand Prix. So the bottom yes. line, as it stands now, is that Tony Drake is amazing, is still in the lead of the uh, predictions for the Facebook page. Um, but I am in eighth spot with 145 points. Um, so I feel pretty good. I'm, I'm within the top 10. You are not far behind with uh, 166 points in 14th spot. 14th. I but work most importantly, Team Human, well ahead of Damien. The statistical model is in 24th spot. Now, he's probably going to do pretty well for the rest of the year. Yeah. If we can sort of look at the 2011 results and think, okay, if, if you know, we could almost do a stat model that says, if you just picked Vettel for everything, how good would you be? And there's probably, they'd be pretty good. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, Team Human is definitely in the lead on this one. And as it happens, I am uh, I'm feeling pretty good because I am in number eight spot right now. Good for you. Congratulations. Uh, I owe you a Coke or two, I suppose. Or 10 or something. I don't know. Yeah, we'll, we'll square up at the end of the season. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Or a Red Bull vodka, apparently, because that's amazing. Yeah. If we do that, we're going to have to do that at like 7 in the morning. Because <laughs> that <laughs> okay. is just That how is it goes. the Bloody Mary of alcoholic beverages. Anyway, <laughs> what? Isn't well, it's a morning Mary, drink is my point. Mary. Mimosa. Uh, also an alcoholic beverage. Uh, Whatever. Yes. Point is, it is the Egg McMuffin. Of, <laughs> that just sounds... Where were we? We were talking about predictions for the next race, the Grand Prix of Abu Dhabi. Yes, sir. Now, is there any reason to think that Sebastian Vettel won't continue on and dominate? I don't know. And you tell me. Well, no. Man. So you're just going to ride this train. I am huh? in the lead right now, so I'm going to go with safe bets and... So far, that's worked well for me. So the fact of the matter is, especially when it comes to qualifying, it's just really hard to imagine that Vettel is going to do uh, much worse than first. However, you, sir, are forgetting about Ferrari land, which is uh, abundant in Abu Dhabi. And uh, Fernando Alonso's performance in India, to me, gave me some hope. And in that light, I think that Fernando Alonso is going to make this championship interesting and he is going to win in an Abu Dhabi. Wow. Vettel Alonso. There you have it, folks. And if you haven't already, definitely visit facebook.com slash fwcars or just go to funwithcars.com and click on our uh, link there. It's uh, just as easy. And you can enter your own predictions there, and you can keep up with what we are posting on Facebook and what all of our other dedicated fans are posting. There's always articles and discussions and interesting things going on there. Yeah, and we did mention it earlier. Tons of activity on the Facebook page. That is still an awesome and an amazing place to go. We just had some actual emails that we wanted to tackle, so we did that. Yeah. Um, but as, so as we mentioned, uh, funwithcars.com is the hub of everything. And also, please, please, please make sure that your podcast reader, whatever thing you use to download our show, isn't still pointed at that old web address, something about F1, something yeah, or other. Yeah, I don't even remember. It sounds really trademarked. It sounds really dangerous. You don't really want your browser <laughs> going there anymore. And we certainly have nothing to do with it. Right. As of uh, January 1st, 2013, uh, we definitely want you uh, in the Fun With Cars Club and uh, with everything working properly there. So, uh, again, just update your bookmarks. Go to funwithcars.com. All the information you need is right there, as well as some beautiful uh, pictures and things from uh, our, our week off uh, from the, you know, the Korean GP weekend, all the fun stuff that we were doing instead. Yes. And uh, potentially other cool stuff to come from uh, your visit to the Circuit of the Americas and yes. your your sit in an F1 car and your ride in a triple seater and all kinds of crazy other fun things. Yeah, I have to get off my arse and put that stuff online. But I also... Uh, you know, as you are very aware, uh, helping me with my job this morning, Jim is so good that not only does he do his, his job, he does some of mine. And uh, so uh, I've had a very busy weekend, and I could use a little bit of sleep. 
Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> Me too. Unfortunately, I don't get that. I go on a plane and go fly to Vegas to go to the SEMA show. So if we have any fans in Vegas that are at the SEMA show, then uh, yeah, visit us up on, uh, hit me up on Twitter or something. And, Which uh, reminds me, I have to tell hi. you about uh, who might be there. Yeah. But that's a not on the podcast discussion. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up on the podcast. Well, you know, that's that's my style. That's just how we roll. All right. So thanks again for listening, everyone. And visit F5, whoa, visit funwithcars.com. Yes. Yes, that is our for website. For the Grand Prix show. That's the one. Uh, until then, I am Jim Lau. And I am Robin Warner. Get some sleep. Get some sleep.